questions here so i want to give myself plenty of runway um to start with matthew my man matthew kasecki said i'd like to start by saying you're welcome to the idea of bringing in guest hosts yeah you're the creative brains behind the podcast matthew i appreciate that um even if you use someone other than myself to start he says uh maybe someday you never know um says questions about the texans off seasons taken from a mantra that has worked for the astros everyone talks about the draft as a place you go best player available free agency, you identify weaknesses or holes and fill those. The Astros were known back when they had real GMs, at least, as a team that understood trying to add value doesn't have to be about filling a hole. It's about finding a value in a player and then figuring out how best they can improve your team. I'm paraphrasing here. Except, for instance, re-signing Schultz and signing Hunter Henry or signing two starting caliber receivers um, versus the uh, number one receiving target this off or he, he's saying the number one receiving target should be Tyler Boyd. Um, basically he's asking, should the Texans be looking at, at signing value guys? Maybe it's not a huge position of need. That's how I interpret that. Um, and, and I think, yeah, I think the answer is yes. Like anything that improves the football team. And I, I do think that approach is the right one. I just said that at, at wide receiver, um, you know, so yeah, if you can get Schultz and Henry, this is the, I don't want to say the luxury the Texans have because it's not a luxury. Ideally, it wouldn't be this way. There are very few positions where they can't go get a couple of guys in free agency if they feel there's value and know that they're going to get on the field. They've got one really NFL caliber cornerback right now. They've got a couple of safeties, but one Petrie didn't play well last year and Jimmy Ward's always hurt. Um, They've got basically one linebacker you feel good about right now in Christian Harris. They've got one defensive tackle you feel good about in Malik Collins, one defensive end you feel good about in Will Anderson, and that's just on that side of the ball. They have basically no running backs right now. I mean, I I know Damian Pierce. We all love Damian, but he didn't play any snaps in the playoff game. Uh, The loss to Baltimore, I don't think he played many snaps against Cleveland either. So um, so there's there's very few positions the Texans have where if they go, okay, we signed Dalton Schultz, but then there's another good value, a tight end. Oh, yeah, let's bring him in. Chances are that guy gets on the field. It's not a deep team right now. They have 30 free agents. So I would be – I'm I'm fine with that, and I get what you're saying about the Astros, and that is kind of the analytical approach. So I I, I like that. All right, hopefully that answered your question. Um, Chris in the ATL, really enjoyed the show last week with Texans Cap. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate that. Someone in the business world, I have a business take on free agency. Um, let me just pause. Yeah, if you missed it last week, the previous episode to this one – um, my guest was Texans Cap, who many of you know, if you follow on social media, maybe you subscribe to his Substack. He is the go-to guy when it comes to anything data or informational relative to, to the salary cap or the Texans in free agency. He's also got good opinions on guys he thinks they should go after based on positional value, based on what he thinks the contracts would look like in free agency. And we hit all that stuff in the podcast. So if you're looking to um, get kind of a primer on what this could look like over the next few weeks for the Texans. Go out of your way to find 
my full episode with Texans cap from last Thursday. Um, he said that uh, Chris says Texans cap mentioned Casario may still go with one to two year deals. It is in a crazy strategy for the Texans to go with more three or four year deals with better, more expensive players. They still have Stroud on a rookie deal. They choose to re-sign him early. They can do some restructuring. He says this is the business part of it. I liken this to the business case that it's more expensive to acquire a new employee versus retain a current one. I know it's not apples to apples since it's the NFL, but you have those you you have those value add players already on the team and just have to renegotiate their deals versus having to recruit new players and overspend. I think here's the thing, and you acknowledge this, Chris, in here, is that that analogy, as someone who used to hire a lot of people before I got into radio. I fully, fully, fully understand the concept of it costs you way more to go find somebody new than it is to get your existing people to produce at the level you'd hope they produced that when you hired them on board. I, I think the difference there is that the NFL has got plenty of intel on all these guys. In the real world, you're hiring people and you're bringing them in a lot of times as a virtual unknown. This is a sport where there's only 32 businesses. There's a fixed amount of players out there. They've got plenty of intel on guys. I also think, too, that who's to say that if you bring guys in on one- and two-year deals that um, that they're not going to want to stay or you're not going to want to bring them back. I, I just think – I don't think Nick Casario – I'm not saying he's not going to do any three- or four-year deals. He's going to be in on some free agents this year where that's going to be the price of poker is you're going to have to do something beyond a two-year deal. But I don't think he's going to blanket change his philosophy. Um, I like. I think there's one of those in this free agent class, like a four-year guy at market dollar. Other than that, I think it's back to a bunch of one- and two-year guys that are as good or maybe some of them better than the ones they signed last season. And last season's free agency class was pretty good. I think this one will be more talented, and I think it will include kind of one crown jewel. If I had to guess, it would be on the defensive side of the ball ultimately. I don't count one of these running backs as a crown jewel of the class because I think inherently, first of all, they all think they're underpaid to begin with, but I think also the value of these guys is not going to be what some think it will be in the marketplace. So um, I I would continue with the strategy he's doing, which is one and two year guys, unless you got to go balls to the wall to get a star player. They've got the wherewithal to do that. They've got a team that is much closer to winning something big than they are to drafting high in the draft. But I, the, I, I like the thought. I like the creative thought part of that, Chris. But the, the analogy to me doesn't, doesn't really hold water. I appreciate, appreciate all the, 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 uh, the emails, though, Chris. Keep sending them. Just because I rained on your three- and four-year contract parade doesn't mean you shouldn't keep sending me good emails. All right, let's keep it moving here. Um, Tyson on the east side. The NFL adds an 18th game, which is just a matter of time, he says. What would you like to see that game be? Annual rival, another formulaic opponent, overseas game? That's interesting. Um, I, I've always thought that there needs to be uh, an annual rival game. Like the, the, For the teams that, that there is an appropriate rival um, outside of your division, you know, obviously the Texans have rivals in their division, but one that they – like the Dallas is the obvious one, right? Like the Texans and the Cowboys should play every year, not every four years. Or in the case of next year, um, you know, two years. They, you know, they're, they're, the Cowboys are the 17th game, that rando game on the schedule next year. But as far as the formulaic part of the schedule that just turns in perpetuity, um, the Texans play the Cowboys every four years. That's silly. So I think, that, I think about half the league, I did this exercise one time. Maybe I'll do it again. Um, but 
I, about half the league has a team, you know, has about half the league you can put rivals together that, that, you know, could play cross conference every year. You know, the two Pennsylvania teams, I think that'd be fun. Uh, the two Texas teams, you know, Dallas and Houston. Uh, you can probably find some permutation down in Florida of either Tampa and Miami or Tampa and Jacksonville. Um, you know, back in the day, the two Bay Area teams. And I think even Raiders Niners would work now. That that Raiders team in Vegas still has a huge, huge fan base that are based in the Bay Area that just treat Vegas as sort of their second home now, I think, football-wise. Um, the two L.A. teams. Uh, you know, so that's four or five of them right there off the top of my head. Um, the two New York teams. So, yeah. I, and then, so for the ones where there's a logical one, do that. And then the other 14, 16 teams, just do some sort of rotation. But yeah, I, I've always thought that whenever possible, if there can be a geographic rivalry, what what would be bad about the Texans and the Cowboys playing every year for the NFL? Nothing. So that's my thoughts on that. Appreciate the question, Tyson. Bill Kelly emails in. Said first, all love to the general. That's uh, John McClain. Yep. Uh, he said his last mission charging the gates of Canton for Sir Andre Johnson will live on in the memory of all Houstonians. Glory to our team and glory to the general. Yeah. Quick congrats to John for getting Andre Johnson into the Hall of Fame. Good job, John McClain. Said second, I don't want to pretend to know the draft, the free agents, the salary cap, et cetera. What I want to know is will the Texans ever offer the Coach D'Amico-style game day shirts he wears, asking for, like, a lot of Houstonians? Tell me they wouldn't sell a million of the – oh, he's talking about the uh, the blue ones with the red the red outline Texan logo. Uh, he's talking about those long-sleeve – like, it looks like dry-fit long-sleeve tees that D'Amico wears. They are pretty dope. I don't know if they sell them or not. It doesn't sound – if it does, Bill, it sounds like you put in the time. I will find out. You know what I'm, I'm going to do? I'm writing this down right now on my list of to-dos. I'm going to text the team to my list of to-dos, not too long today, and ask about Miko shirt. Uh, I'm with you. It looks super comfy. Looks like a great walking shirt for me. I like to walk the neighborhood, and it look, that looks like a shirt that even when it's hot outside, it's probably pretty comfy. And D'Amico wears it, so it's cool. Good question, Bill. I'll find out for you. Um, so... Uh, yeah, I will. I will. Uh, I will definitely. Bill goes on to have a lot of nice things to say about the podcast, which I could read, and but that would basically be masturbation, so I won't do that. Um, all right, Joe Q, frequent emailer to the show. You guys are sending in a lot of deep thought emails. Joe Q is always good for good for some uh, some good email uh, fodder. Um, and I got to open an email that he sent to me as backup for, for this particular question. The question is about he heard me talking about. Uh, Eli Manning and on the last pod about what it would take to be happy with the Texans in 2024. And I, I kind of brought up Eli Manning. Like the, the fact of the matter is the giants had very few happy seasons during Eli's time as the quarterback there, but, but they won two Super Bowls, you know? So, you know, do you, are you happy making the playoffs maybe a third of the time over two decades, but two of those runs are Super Bowls? Or would you rather be a perennial playoff team, take your chances that maybe you win a Super Bowl along the way? It makes for a whole lot more relevant and fun seasons. But if your goal is to have a parade, Eli is better than almost every quarterback in the history of the NFL at getting a parade for his city. He's, there's only a handful, I think five, that have won more Super Bowls than Eli Manning. So... So Joe lays it out and says, 
that the Texans are 50 games under 500 all time, well under 500 since they started winning divisions and making the playoffs in 2011, and that's due to a few really, really bad seasons. But the Texans are actually, since their inception, are in the upper quartile, Jim Irsay joke here, in the um, the upper quartile of teams winning divisions. They've won seven divisions since 2002, and only seven teams have won more divisions than the Texans. Now, I know that that is faint praise. The Giants have only won three, as an example. But you'd rather be the Giants over that period because they won two Super Bowls. Texans win seven divisions. Giants win three. Um, so the question Joe asks, and it's an interesting one and probably deserves a pot of its own, is apart from the obvious ones like Kansas City, New England, Pittsburgh, throw Philly in there. They won a Super Bowl, went to a couple more, um, won a bunch of divisions, won nine divisions. Who would you rather have been than the New York Giants over the last 21 seasons? Again, just three divisions, but two Super Bowls. And just looking at the list here, um, I think I think the minimum is you have to be a team that won a Super Bowl. Um, you know, like Baltimore is relevant every single year. Um, they and they won a Super Bowl in 2012. Like I'd rather be Baltimore winning one Super Bowl and being being a team everybody thinks highly of over that period of time than winning two Super Bowls and having to endure a decade and a half of Eli Manning as my quarterback outside of those two Super Bowl runs. That's brutal. Um, I think New Orleans would have been a fun team to root for in that time frame, not just because you won a Super Bowl, but because you got to root for Drew Brees, Hall of Fame quarterback, and you had some saucy drama going on throughout the their history since 2002. You know, little Bounty Gate. Um, you know, Katrina was unfortunate, but that was the storyline. It's a big reason why Drew Brees wound up there. So I think New Orleans, no on the Cowboys. Now you're starting to get into teams that um, that didn't win Super Bowls. Uh, Denver is an interesting one. You know, you got the uh, you got to a couple Super Bowls in the middle part of the of the, the the 2010s there, and you won a Super Bowl in 2015. Would I rather be the Denver Broncos and the New York Giants over that period of time? That's probably the line right there is Denver, I would say. Um, so yeah, I like you know the Rams. You know they won a Super Bowl. They moved to LA. I would say the teams that I would rather have rooted for in that time, for sure Baltimore, for sure New Orleans, maybe Denver. Um, and, uh, you know, the teams that won one Super Bowl, like Tampa, no. You know, Rams, maybe. Eh. So that's about it. Good question. All right, two more. These are quick ones. Uh, this is from Vaughn. Is there one player, or if there was one player you could trade up to get in the draft, who would it be? Um, that's an easy one for me. If you listen to Payne and Pendergast, you know, and I think Seth and I are in lockstep on this. Um, it would be Brock Bowers, the tight end out of Georgia. I've seen him going anywhere from five uh, to the Chargers at five. I saw a mock draft yesterday where he slipped all the way to the Bengals at 18. If he starts to get into that teen range, 13, 15, 18 in there, if I were Nick Casario, I'd be making phone calls to move up. And last year's Will Anderson trade up. I know it's for a defensive end, not a tight end. But does make me think, if Nick thinks highly enough of a guy, and I think we've seen Nick's behavior in drafts before, he trades up to get a lot of guys. You know, there's rare is the player that they just picked at their own spot. They either move back or move up. He's always maneuvering around the draft. Um, so I mine would be Brock Bowers, the tight end out of Georgia, who I think, I man, I think of an offense 
with Nico Collins, Tank Dell, Brock Bowers, CJ Stroud, whoever they sign it, running back, maybe even draft a running back as well. And you got all these young players growing together with each other. Wow, that's that's a fun thing. So mine would be Brock Bowers. Last one from Brian. Have you been watching The Dynasty? That's the New England Patriots documentary on um, Apple TV. Have you been watching The Dynasty? And if so, what are your thoughts so far? Uh, I have. It's four episodes in. It's 10 episodes total. Two drop each Friday. For those who haven't watched it, it's very well done. It's I like it so far. It's very good. Um, even I'm not a Patriots fan. And I don't find myself looking to see oh, how much time is left in this episode. That happens to me a lot in movies and documentaries. Like, all right, we almost done with this here. I don't find myself doing that with this. Uh, I find the the backstory of Tom Brady coming into the league uh, and his rise to fame fascinating. They do a, an amazing job with the footage they have behind the scenes, old VHS footage. Clearly got like, like with Brady, like his rookie year, his second year, he lived in a condo with one of his teammates and they were filming everything, man. They, they must have had like a handheld camcorder. And it's funny to watch Tom Brady as a young player, a very different personality, I think, than ultimately when he, um, you know, got married, got older, won Super Bowls, became a global celebrity. It's really well done. Um, my only gripes with it so far. One, it's four episodes in. So chronologically right now, <clears throat> we've gotten through the hiring of Belichick, the drafting of Brady, the first three Super Bowls. Episode four ended with them losing, ironically, losing to Eli. And that's one of the Super Bowls we just talked about a minute ago. Um, so that's where they are right now, four episodes in. They, again, they drop two episodes every Friday. So there'll be three more weeks worth of episodes to each of the next three weeks. Um, my only gripes, two gripes. One, three gripes. Um, one, uh, Ted Johnson, one of my very best friends that I've met in this business, who I still keep in touch with to this day, Patriot legend, but who I think is probably on weird terms with the Patriots based on some of the interviews he did about Bill Belichick back in the day and how Belichick handled concussions and so forth. You would not know Ted Johnson was on the New England Patriots if you watched this documentary. They showed footage of all three of the Super Bowls of Brady's first Super Bowls, Ted was on all those teams. He's on camera for a total of like five seconds in the first four episodes. And it's usually in some sort of wide shot of uh, of like multiple players, like standing on the sidelines, high-fiving and whatnot. So that's number one. Uh, don't cancel Ted Johnson, Apple TV or NFL Films or whoever's doing this, all right? Ted was on those teams. You cannot erase him from existence. Number two, speaking of Ted's, uh, conversely, Whereas Ted Johnson has been written out of the first three Super Bowls by this documentary, Teddy Bruschi is portrayed as if he's dick fucking butt kiss. Okay. That's how strongly I feel about it. I'm cursing right now. All right. Um, you can't go four seconds without a Teddy Bruschi vignette in this thing of him sitting down and talking of Teddy Bruschi making a play. Teddy Bruschi literally in 2007, breaking down the locker room, while the Spygate controversy swirling around Belichick and breaking down the locker room with some sort of chant, like, who doesn't love Bill Belichick? And I'm guessing like two thirds in the guys in the locker room, are like looking like, not me. I mean, I don't, he's cool. He's a good coach. I like winning these rings, but damn, Teddy, get out of this. Okay, never mind. Um, so, um, so Teddy Bruschi, um, I'm, not a, I'm not a fan of how prominently he's portrayed in this whole thing. Company man. Um, number 
three, the New York Super Bowl, the Giants win over the Patriots. They had Michael Strahan on there doing some vignettes, doing some interviewing, some sit down on there. And Strahan is portraying the Giants of 2007 as if they were the heroes of America, as if they were the ultimate baby faces, as if they were the new America's team. To be very clear, one, not for everybody. I live in America and I wasn't rooting for the Giants. I was actually rooting for the Patriots because I wanted the Patriots to finish undefeated. So those old coots that played for Miami back in 1972 would get the hell out of my life and stop popping champagne every year when you get the last undefeated team losing. Those guys annoy the hell out of me. So the Patriots would have eliminated them. Now, would the Patriots be annoying 30 years from now, popping champagne every Probably, probably. But at least they'd have gone 19-0. and The Dolphins went 17-0. and They were underdogs in the Super Bowl back then, if I'm not mistaken. So that's I was actually rooting for the Patriots. But this is what I would say to Strahan. Dude, let's, let's not act like it's really fun to root for New York teams if you're not from New York. Most of us, I would say most of America was rooting for an asteroid to hit the stadium, okay? If we're being honest, a New York team and a Boston team playing each other in the Super Bowl, we were hoping for the earth to open up and the stadium to get swallowed by it, okay? So the whole thing, like we were America's team and everybody loved us. Eh, not so fast, my friend. Slow down. All right. Good mailbag questions, people. I enjoyed that very, very much. All right. Um, subscribe, rate, review. Appreciate everybody subscribing to this podcast. Appreciate you tuning in. Appreciate you downloading. If you're not subscribing, hit the subscribe button. You get it automatically to whatever um, whatever uh, device it is that you listen to all your podcasts on. So appreciate that. Uh, give us a, a rating, five-star review, whatever. That helps. All that activity helps this podcast. So really appreciate that. We'll have an episode coming up on Thursday. Guests to be determined. I'm working on that today, but we will have somebody on the podcast with us that you will enjoy, I promise, on Thursday's episode. Um, and we'll look back at Nick Casario's press conference, uh, his Wednesday press conference. We'll take a look back at it on Thursday. Anything that Nick said, uh, will have said tomorrow, we will talk about on Thursday's episode as well. Again, if you want to email the show, you can, mailbag at gmail.com. I read them all. I only use a handful of them on the show, but I read them all. I save some of them because I know sometimes... Some are better used at other times in the calendar than others. So don't be afraid to drop me an email. Just thoughts on the podcast. What do you think? What do you think? How do you like it? Uh, I love the feedback.